This is an Equity Mates Media podcast. You should celebrate yourself every day, but some days you should celebrate with jewelry. Whether you want to commemorate an unforgettable moment or just bring some added sparkle to your collection, Blue Nile can offer you expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com today and experience the ease and convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com. BlueNile.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Equity Minds. I will say this about investing. Everything you do learn is What I learned at 20 is you Welcome to another episode of Equity Mates, a podcast that follows our journey of investing. Whether you're an absolute beginner or approaching Warren Buffett status, our aim is to help break down your barriers from beginning to dividend. My name is Bryce, and as always, I am joined by my equity buddy, Ren. How are you going? I'm very good, Bryce. Uh, Again, happy reporting season. The fire hose of content continues at this time of year. We're getting well in the swing of things over here in Australia. Uh, In the US, we've seen a lot of results, but the whole world is reporting at the moment. This is a global movement. This is a global phenomenon that we're a part of, and uh, we're kind of trying to keep track of it all. (laughs) It's very difficult to keep track of it all. There are a lot of companies in the world. Uh, So, last week, we uh, did a bit of a deep dive on some of the big tech giants reporting over in the States. We heard from the likes of uh, Mark Zuckerberg. We heard about the Afterpay Square merge. Um, and that was all thanks to Quarter and the earnings reports and earnings calls that we were listening to. And today, as we said in last episode, we're going to focus in on Europe because we feel we don't often give it as much airtime and uh, maybe rightly so, but uh, we're going to talk about some of the big companies over in Europe today, Ren. Yes, that's it. And Bryce, you know that I've made it my mission to have more Australian brokers allow access to European stocks. Yes. And so hopefully uh, this episode will be another brick in the wall of that campaign. As we make it clear to the equity rates community, just just how many companies in Europe that are doing interesting things or solving big problems or just seeing phenomenal growth. So there's a whole often under-discussed world of companies uh, over there in Europe um, and Europe is having a bit of a moment at the, at the moment. I think after decades of sort of underperforming the US, uh, the European stock markets are hitting some all-time highs So, it's a good time to talk about Europe. Well, there's no time like the present. Uh, As we said, this uh, episode is proudly sponsored by Quarter and they 
are pulling together all of the earnings calls from around the world. Uh, well, as many as possible. If the company is on not on the app, then they said uh, to absolutely reach out and they'll they'll put the company on for you. So and and to be clear, we're saying reach out to them. Don't reach out to us. <laughs> <laughs> so that's uh, www.quarter.se. Uh, to listen to all of the earnings calls. But today, we're going to continue on the theme of last week and pull out some of the earnings calls that we've been listening to over the last week. We've got Spotify Technology, we've got Volkswagen Group, we've got ASML Holding, and we've got Evolution. So we've got Swedish, Germany, Netherlands... uh, I should say Sweden. Um, yeah, yeah, you should. <laughs> and uh, so let's start with one of our favorite, Ren, and that is Spotify. That's it. Spotify, obviously, we're in the podcast game and Spotify is throwing a lot of money into the podcast game. So we appreciate all their efforts there. <laughs> but, <laughs> but I think more generally, you know, Spotify... Spotify saved the music industry, and I know that's a big call, wow. but I think if you if you look back in and you look at the history of uh, the decline of CD sales, the rise of Napster, and then what how Spotify sort of rose from the ashes uh, out of that, um, I I don't think that is too big a call to make. Sweden, the home of audio startups, so uh, it's no surprise that Spotify came out of Sweden. And so we've pulled out a few different clips from this call because Daniel Ek, the Spotify CEO, has you know he's built an incredible business, but he's got massive ambitions, which we'll sort of hear from in this earnings call. But I think let's start at the beginning, beginning of the earnings call. Daniel Ek, Spotify CEO, makes some opening comments around Spotify's quarter and also touches on some of, I guess, their ambitions uh, on where they want to go from here. And with that, I'll turn it over to Daniel. All right. Hi, everyone, and thank you so much for joining us. I will touch briefly on the quarter and then offer context for some of the opportunities I see across our business. All along, we've been pretty clear that our outlook for 2021 included a higher degree of variability given the ongoing uncertainties of the pandemic and the uneven recovery worldwide. And with the exception of MEU, we've had another strong quarter, which is apparent in the solid outperformance of all other metrics. And while I'm disappointed that our MEU growth was softer in the last half of Q1 and the first half of Q2, The good news is that we've seen the trend line reverse and all the leading indicators I'm seeing show that we're back on track. And there's a lot to learn for us on the MEU shortfall. Markets like India, Brazil, and parts of Southeast Asia lag behind our expectations. And we've also seen slightly slower adoption rate in some of our newly launched markets. All these regions have been hard hit by COVID. Ultimately, we lost about a quarter of growth between Q1 and Q2. And in hindsight, we likely underestimated the acceleration we saw in MEU growth in 2020. All that said, I feel really, really good about what we're seeing. Taking a bigger picture view and looking at the last two years averaged together, we're still on track to outpace our MEU growth in these two previous years. 2020 was a bit of an outlier. Companies rarely grow in a straight line, and nothing in our data changes our long-term outlook and the audio opportunity for Spotify. In fact, if there's one thing that has surprised me the most during COVID, it's been how effectively we've been able to dream up and accelerate the roll-up of new innovations in the midst of tremendous disruption, while also executing against our existing roadmap. 
And long term, I believe speed of iteration will be a key competitive differentiator. So there's a lot of positives that we also bring with us from this. We've highlighted several of these innovations in our letter, but we've actually introduced more than 20 significant new features over the last few months. It's been on everything from collaborative listening worldwide to launching our new live audio experience, Spotify Greenroom. We also began rolling out paid podcast subscriptions and Spotify open access, both of which offer solutions for creators and publishers to earn revenue from their Spotify listeners. These product innovations unlock an entirely new class of content on Spotify. And I'm hearing from consumers and creators alike about their firsthand experiences with the changes they are seeing on the Spotify platform. And frankly, from where I sit, it's incredibly exciting to know that there are plenty of improvements we can deliver that will substantially enhance our offering and, as a consequence, open new doors for Spotify as well. And all of this has been accomplished while our entire team has been remote, allowing more teams across the world to collaborate on each new release. And we've used our learnings to supercharge our velocity of shipping, and that impact is starting to show. Put in other words, the platform we're building is all about moving from 8 million to 50 million creators, and from 400 million to more than 1 billion users on our platform. For each improvement, we will turn more listeners into super fans, give voice to more types of creators, and offer users multiple ways to interact and engage with the talent they love. When we connect creators at every stage with fans around the world, our flywheel moves faster and faster, unlocking even more potential growth. We are still early in moving linear radio to on-demand audio, which just goes to show the growth opportunity still out there is significant. Then, of course, there's the growing strength and importance of our ad business. Admittedly, this is an area where I previously didn't spend much time, but it's becoming impossible to ignore. It's now safe to say it's becoming a second big revenue driver for Spotify. And I'm especially inspired by the early success of the Spotify audience network. While we are growing the overall ads business from a small base, the potential is significant and the trend line is clear. We saw strong growth of 110% year over year. Adjusting for FX, the growth is even more impressive coming in at 126%. And looking at podcasts, Podcast revenue was up over 627% year over year, or nearly 200% on an organic basis. And the continued outperformance is currently limited only by the availability of our inventory, which is something we're actively solving for. So it's clear to me that the days of our ad business accounting for less than 10% of our total revenue are behind us. And going forward, I expect ads to grow to be a substantial part of our revenue mix. So as you can see, there's a lot going on and there's a powerful pipeline of platform improvements that will benefit consumers, creators, and brand partners in Q3 and Q4. And now I'll turn it back to Brian and the questions. Well, Ren, we love revenue growth and to hear Spotify's podcast revenue up 627% year on year, you just love to see it. Yeah, you do. You do. Bodes well for the industry as a whole. Uh, I think for people who are unfamiliar, there's a lot of talk about MAUs, um, monthly active users, if people are unfamiliar with that acronym. Um, But yeah, Spotify, a softer quarter in some respects, but podcasting continues to go from strength to strength. And we we see that in what what they're trying to do 
Um, mm. You know, call, call Her Daddy, one of the biggest podcasts in the world, one of your favorite podcasts, Bryce. No. Um, <laughs> it, it recently uh, was made a Spotify exclusive. Obviously, the Joe Rogan deal, Barack Obama and Bruce Springsteen are doing a Spotify exclusive podcast. Michelle Obama's doing one. Uh, Meghan Markle and Prince Harry are doing a Spotify exclusive podcast. They're really, you know, putting some big money and getting some big names to do podcasts on their platform. So the, the only big, the only big name that's missing from that list, Ren, is Equity Mates. So, well, you know, I, I often think that there's one category where they're very weak on in Spotify exclusives, <laughs> yeah. and it, it's, finance. it's finance. They don't have any. Uh, and you know, like maybe they'll try and get Dave Ramsey, but if they don't get him. Hey, we'll take your call, Spotify. <laughs> we'll take your call anytime, <laughs> anytime. <laughs> but look, I think this next clip, uh, in his opening remarks, Daniel Ek made a comment about getting to a billion users. So currently they have about 8 million creators and 400 million users, which is an incredible number when you think about it. But if to try and get to a billion is, you know, what, 12% of the world or something like that. Um so it's it's an incredible ambition. Really, what? How many companies would have over a billion users? Facebook have two point nine. Yeah, not 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 very many. I can't actually think of of one. I mean, Go- yeah, Google true. would like Google search, but but I think I think the list gets very short after that. So Spotify, incredibly ambitious, and uh, an analyst asked the question, well, ha- how do you guys think you're going to get to a billion users? So um, that's this clip here. Right. Next question is from Justin Patterson, uh, directed for, uh, to Daniel. At Stream On, Daniel, you talked about a billion user opportunity for Spotify. Given the degree of growth that implies, what are the key investments you need to make to deliver on that target? Yeah, uh, I, I touched upon this in the opening remarks, but uh, for us, it's, um, you know, we've grown in the past few years from about a, a million uh, creators to now more than 8 million creators. But the opportunity in front of us is really to get to more than 50 million creators. And um, as part of that, um, it's really all about getting those, um, you know, audiences of those 50 million potential creators to start listening um, to that content, becoming super fans. Um, and uh, creating more and more tools for the creators and fans to start engaging with each other, uh, turning that engagement into monetization opportunities and so on. Um, so that's really the kind of main strategy. And a lot of that comes down to the combination of platform improvements, uh, discoverability of just being able to showcase and seeing new content. And then um, obviously um, the content team and onboarding new creators and, and finding, um, you know, compelling ways to get creators to feel like Spotify is the number one platform, because when that happens, it, it, it is a flywheel that uh, turns into, you know, more creators turns into more users and more users turns into more creators and so on and so forth. Well, Ren, as a Spotify shareholder on my side, not so much, not so sure about you, but uh, I love to see podcast revenue growth up 600%. I love the ambition of a billion users. If they can hit that mark, then they're going to be absolutely flying. So good to hear from my end. Yeah. Now, you you know I'm a big uh, TikTok guy. Um, <laughs> I, I, I just find it interesting. Obviously, when we did the US uh, earnings calls last episode, last Monday, we, um, we spoke about how TikTok's impact on Facebook and, and Snap and everyone. We even featured an article about in Thought Starters about TikTok's influence on 
Pinterest and how they're all, you know, focusing on creators and, uh, you know, trying to make their platforms as creator friendly as possible. I find it interesting that Spotify are even now talking about creators. It's not about artists and podcasters. It's about getting as many creators on the platform and and helping them, you know, bring their audiences across as well. Maybe they were, maybe they were using this rhetoric before TikTok. I mean, I've only just found Corda, um, but I, I just find it interesting the way that everyone is now just so creator focused. Um, but it makes sense. And if Spotify want to get more financial creators on the platform, again, give us a call. Fascinating space, yeah. Even in, over in Silicon Valley now with uh, more and more money being poured into backing creators and the power of audience. So fascinating. Luckily, we're kind of in that space, Ren. You're a massive TikTok creator, so. Yeah, and you're uh, a massive Finfluencer. <laughs> <No>. <laughs> so final clip from Spotify. This is very self-indulgent from us, but there were two questions in a row on the podcast business, but we figure if uh, people are listening to our podcast, they must at least have a cursory interest in the business. Uh, so Spotify uh, here get asked two questions in a row on the podcast business. Uh, so we've featured them both here. Okay, we've got another question from Ben Swinburne. You called out a revenue mix shift towards podcasts, among other things, benefiting gross margins. Previously, you had discussed podcast investments this year as a greater drag versus last year. Has something changed? Is the business now at a scale that it should drive gross margins going forward? Yeah, so a big chunk of that is a couple of things. One is revenue exceeded expectations uh, on the podcasting side. You know, led both organically as well as the acquisition uh, of Megaphone and, and some of the inventory for uh, JRE and others, which was um, super impactful. Um, you know, as Daniel mentioned, his opening podcasting uh, revenue growth was up 627%. It was actually up close to 700% on an FX neutral basis. On an organic basis, it was up almost 200% FX neutral. So the revenue growth there was um, better than we expected, which led to better margins on that side. Uh, on the investment side, I would say it was... Um, in line, maybe a little bit lighter than we thought in terms of the quarter. Um, that has more to do with just quarterly, I'd uh, say, variances with respect to content spend than it does any shift in terms of the overall investment we'll make for uh, for 2021. There's some of the um, the shift got pushed out to uh, the back half of the year, uh, but in general, it was really led by um, just the leverage you get on having a, a more upside on the podcasting revenue side. In terms of how it drives gross margins going forward, um, I wouldn't necessarily say it's an inflection. I'd say it's a it's a strong indicator of where we can go. Um, when advertising is strong and where we can go with the leverage on the uh, on the podcasting side over time. We're going to continue to invest in the business, but I'm, I'm super pleased with how we performed in the quarter. Next question on Rich Greenfield, um, also related to podcasting. Uh, we sense a shift in your podcast strategy from studio content that's available on all podcast platforms to high-profile exclusives like Joe Rogan, Alex Cooper, and Dak Shepard, both in the U.S. and around the world. What's changed with your strategy? Hey, Rich, and uh, I believe happy birthday, by the way. Um, yeah, uh, I, I don't think really anything has kind of changed. Um, I think uh, we have been experimenting with windowing. We have been experimenting with exclusives. And we've said for quite a long time that obviously we want more and more of the listening to happen only on Spotify. So it's been kind of more of a natural evolution to drive it towards that end. I do think, um, again, um, 
from a strategy perspective, we are very much aiming to be a very open platform all along. And the most important job for us is to be, um, you know, a great partner to all the creators that we have um, in the ecosystem. So I don't think it rolls out and say that we would only do exclusives hard on. I think you're going to see us uh, do many different types of deals, but where uh, possible, we would obviously opt to take it fully exclusive. Uh, but we're going to be very opportunistic about that um, going forward. Nice, Ren. Well, that is Spotify Q2 2021. If people want to actually listen to the full call, make sure you go and check out Quarter, where they've got it all there. You can listen to it in full, all the Q&A as well. So definitely go and check it out if you're interested. Well, if Spotify is probably your most thought about company over in Europe, I would say your second most thought about company is this next one, and that is Volkswagen. It's yes. uh it's one that it's one that you've spoken about a lot. Obviously, massive car maker going hard into electric vehicles, and we've listened to the earnings call and we've pulled out a few clips that I think are particularly interesting, not just for Volkswagen in particular, but for what it tells us about the car-making industry and the transition it's going under more broadly. Agree. And this is what I love about these calls is you get to hear uh, straight from the CEO about business strategy and potentially uncover some things that uh, would otherwise not know. So let's start at the top, Ren. This clip, um, we hear from CEO Herbert Dice. Um Apologies if I've pronounced that wrong. Uh, we're going to hear a bit about their their summary uh, of results, a bit about their high-level business strategy and some of their overall group performance, particularly Audi, um, very successful first half for them. Over to you, Herbert. Thank you very much, Helen. <clears throat> yes, good afternoon, everybody. Um, Volkswagen had a very strong first half of the year, best EBIT ever in the first half year, uh, thanks to a good mix, uh, we did some pricing. Uh, we had a strong, very strong premium brand business. Uh, we we had good cost discipline on the fixed cost side and a strong financial services result. BEF sales more than doubled in the first half year compared to last year, and uh, we have further momentum to expect uh, in the second half, uh, especially in China, through additional product momentum. Uh, semiconductor supply shortages we managed quite successfully in the first half year, but we see now the first real impacts uh, in our production. So especially in, in China, we have lost already uh, quite some market share because of uh, semiconductor supply. And uh, the impact is more likely to become visible in the second half of the year. Next quarter, we would see some uh, production uh, constraints, uh, but we are working hard to recover in the fourth quarter. The combination of our strong base from first half year, uh, the expected weaker Q3, but a catch-up in Q4 gives us enough confidence to raise our group guidance by a further uh, half percentage point to the range of 6 to 7.5 percentage. The strategy, uh, New Auto, is our plan for transforming Volkswagen into a software mobility company. We are well on the way. We are uh, organizing now the implementation and a few steps we already can communicate later today. 
all brand groups contribute to a strong uh, first half year performance. The uh, volume uh, brands under the leadership of uh, Volkswagen showed a growth of around 28% compared to last year. Uh, uh, the uh, Volkswagen could grew its market share in Germany to around 20% strongest market position since uh, 2016. And uh, you know, uh, Germany is a high contribution market, so that helps also to improve uh, Volkswagen's uh, situation. From the four top most uh, most sold products in uh, Germany are all Volkswagen, led by the Golf, uh, Tiguan, Passat, uh, T. Rock. So since many months, Volkswagen was never so strong, and that should uh, then also give momentum uh, in the second half year in the other markets. Premium and sport impressively strong, more than 30% more deliveries in the first half year. Audi with its most successful first half of the year in history. Uh, all premium brands, Audi, Porsche, Bentley with double-digit EBIT margins. Truck and bus with growth over 60% and uh, 3% more than the pre-COVID first half of 2019. And incoming orders are with 170,000 units are a first half year record figure. So in many regions, Volkswagen Group could gain market share. In Europe, Volkswagen gained further market shares with deliveries growing significantly stronger than the overall market recovery. In Western Europe, deliveries in Q2 were significantly stronger than in Q1. So we are really uh, making progress in Europe. Our product uh, momentum, product cadence, product lineup is coming along very well, and we have, we have good order intake still. North America is particularly strong. Volkswagen is back in the United States. The sales are up 30% year-on-year, best Q2 results since 1973. Uh, order books are full for the ID4, Audi e-tron, and for the Porsche Taycan. So we play an important role, meanwhile, in the electrification in the United States. And uh, we aim there for a number two position for electric vehicles, which uh, we have, uh, I think currently we have around 9% market share, which is already twice our market share in the, on the, uh, compared to the ICE side. So interesting start to the earnings call there, Bryce. My big takeaway with this call and a number of the other calls I've listened to are Semiconductors, semiconductors, semiconductors. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I mean, it just goes to show how important semiconductors are. We've spoken about it on the show and on Ausbiz many times, and there's no doubt that the supply impact is having significant uh, impacts on, on many businesses around the world, and they're, and they're having to deal with it accordingly. So, um, yeah, and- we... we- Later in this call, we actually feature a clip from ASML, which is one of the most important companies in the semiconductor supply chain. So uh, there'll be more semiconductor chat to come, uh, but let's let's stick with Volkswagen. And I think if you think of the car industry in 2021, you think of the transition from internal combustion engines to electric vehicles. Um, so let's move on to the next clip where we hear a little bit about their batteries and charging strategy and then also some stuff around how they think about themselves as a mobility services company. 
So, uh, battery and charging, also a few things to mention. We uh, partnered with Goshen Hitech, uh, a battery manufacturer from China where we have a, a major stake in. Uh, Goshen will help us to industrialize our battery cell production in Salzgitter. This is a competency we uh, classic OEM wouldn't own. Now, with the combination with Goshen, we think we are in good shape to ramp up this battery plant in Salzgitter and probably some more in other uh, parts of Europe uh, efficiently with the right skill base and uh, uh, the, 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 the professional partnership. Volkswagen will invest or, or has invested another 500 million in sustainable uh, battery activities with our Northwold uh, investment. We, part, we are partnering with Enel, InelX, uh, for developing, owning, and operating more than 3,000 high-power charging points in Italy of up to 350 kilowatts each. I think we have been talking several times about this. The uh, fast charging infrastructure in Southern Europe is not, to the, um, uh, is not as deployed as we would like to have it. It hinders our uh, electric car sales, and that is why we are investing and partnering in Italy and in Spain uh, to get fast charging as fast as possible and then help us also to get our uh, EV sales up and running also in uh, southern Europe. Mobility and services. Um, uh, we are, I think it's, it's worthwhile mentioning that, and you're all aware that we are taking over uh, in a consortium uh, the Europe car rental car business. Um, just to mention, I will explain that in a, in a, in a few slides. Uh, we are not buying a rental car business to, to own a rental car business, but we think that uh, rental car business is the best starting point to build mobility platforms. I will try to explain you this a little bit later. But you see in our strategy overview that mobility and services is one of the big platform games we want to play uh, with uh, later on then going to robotaxis uh, and 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 uh, different mobility services. Uh, a big cornerstone of this strategy is a mobility platform. We think that the best starting point indeed is uh, car rental. Why so? Because uh, to run mobility platforms, uh, you need a brand. It's basically to um, to mitigate between mobility demand from the customer side and supply from the, uh, let's say, different mobility uh, provider side. Uh, on the next slide, we can explain. So we, we see a clear tendency, a trend that mobility demand is changing over time. We see people uh, renting a car for the weekend, using fleets uh, within the week, using company fleets, uh, to trying to swap cars, change cars. They don't like to lease cars for three years, four years uh, anymore. They want a specific car for the weekend, another car for uh, in-week or the family. So this is the demand is gradually changing. So the question is who can provide the best service to the customer? We think uh, the, the, the most important piece to own and, and uh, relevant is the uh, customer ID and, uh, and uh, the customer knowledge. 
which uh, we think we can build a, a mobility platform which is really worthwhile using for many customers in the world. The basis, we think the best basis is a car rental because car rental already has many of the capabilities and skills you will need for the mobility platform. We already have customer uh, contact. Uh, we can provide cars in any airport, uh, at uh, central main stations, in many uh, cities. In, uh, in the, we we are, have the capabilities to run big fleets, to maintain big fleets, to buy cars, to sell cars. And this is why we think uh, a profitable rental car business is the best place to start for a mobility platform. We have to add that uh, um, capabilities, more customer knowledge, pricing capabilities, uh, also, we have to add third-party offers. Uh, we can combine offers from our brands, so branded uh, mobility offerings, but having that, uh, uh, let's say, uh, key uh, capabilities of a rental car business is the best place to grow, and if that's pro uh, profitable, I think that is, uh, that's the best place to grow from a profitable business. And we think it, you, we, we are in good shape to even be competitive later with the big uh, ride-hailing companies of this world or, uh, or other mobility providers because we start from, from a profitable base which we will grow uh, fast uh, in, uh, on the new service side. So, Ren, I just find it fascinating, as you mentioned earlier, about how there's a real shift now happening when it comes to how these car, traditional car manufacturers are thinking about their role in, I guess, mobility into the future. And, you know, there's no doubt that they're recognizing younger drivers like you and I are less and less likely to actually buy cars and are really now opting for alternatives like ride sharing and, and they really see the future or part of the future of their business as being able to tap into that and they need to be able to provide services to to still cater for the needs of of the likes of, of you and I and the younger generation. So I don't know I don't know what you're talking about, bro. I have owned a car the same car for the last ten years. I, I am the antithesis of that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but you don't need to own it. It sits on the street 6.5 days a week. <laughs> true, true. I, these days, I really only use it to drive to golf once a week. <laughs> <I know. laughs> That's literally it. So anyway, I think it's fascinating that Volkswagen is seeing this trend and trying to position themselves accordingly. You know, they we heard them talk about robo taxis and, and that, that sort of stuff. So um, we're going to hear a bit more detail in the next clip around their um, their acquisition of Europe Car, one of the the world's largest rental um, car rental businesses, they uh, have taken a bit of a hit from uh, investors and, and a lot of questions as to why they did that. And so, in this next clip, you'll hear them uh, defending that acquisition and and chatting about how it's fitting into their long term term view, and also um, a little bit around their I guess their reliance on some of the premium brands that they have in their portfolio for profit going forward. So, uh, a pretty interesting closeout to this conversation. In our strategy shows clearly that uh, in the by the year 2030 also it will be a, a very much a brand game. No brands has be uh, will be uh, have to be aspirational, um, also uh, emotional, and we have probably the best brand portfolio in the world. And we have now 
I think we have restructured the brand portfolio decently. It's well organized and it's working well. And the combination now is with the big platforms. Also, I think this we have organized in the right manner, a hardware platform, software platform, which allows for the right uh, scale. And uh, we strongly believe that uh, automotive industry in 2030 will be more of a scale game than it is today. You know, software is fully scalable. Autonomous driving is fully scalable. Hardware platforms will be one unified hardware platform. You, you will see that this is going to be a, a game for very, very big companies. At, at least you need the economies of scale on the technology side. So we think it's uh, absolutely uh, the right setup. Same applies to, to batteries uh, and charging. This is why we are very confident that we are, are making the right moves. Is there something where we have to work on our brand portfolio? Yes, uh, in some aspects, uh, Skoda is doing very well. They're getting close to 10% profit margins now. We're streamlining the worldwide business. Skoda has taken control for uh, India, for Russia, East European markets. Uh, Volkswagen is coming back strongly in Latin America, in the United States. Uh, the brand portfolio, our weakest point probably is Seat, and they are very well on the move now with their uh, sports brand, Cupra. Uh, Cupra is already bigger than Alfa Romeo has been over the past years. They are going into higher margins. The new product launches are received very well. So this might be the way forward, and we are confident that it can be the way forward for uh, SEAT as well. And then we have by far the best worldwide uh, brand portfolio in the industry. All brands are uh, being modernized, uh, made future-proof, are electrifying, uh, and this allows us also to play the, the scale game in the EV sector also probably on a different level than many of our peers because 70% of the platforms, EV platforms are on full scale uh, between the brands. This is how we play the game, and we think this is uh, the way we, we are going to be successful. Whenever it's possible, we streamline. Yeah, Think about seeds. Uh, we, we have other things in mind. We already reorganized our supply plants quite considerably. Now we phased out plastic components production. Uh, and uh, if, if we see further potential to streamline, we will do so. We will have strong investments because the industry will remain uh, uh, very capital intensive. Now we have to add the battery plants, and we will do that in a way to 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 maintain our margins high and only invest where we really see the right margins, where we see uh, strategically uh, very relevant investment. This is the case for our Europe car. Now we think mobility platforms can be highly profitable uh, because at the end it's uh, it's customer knowledge, it's software, it's a brand. Uh, and uh, this is why and the best base is to build up one of those brands or, or, or probably several of those brands uh, delivering uh, services is uh, Europe Car, uh, and uh, we see high potential for, for also uh, creating value uh, with building a mobility platform. You can see that, in, and we think we can be more successful than many of the of the uh, of, of, of the mobility players you have in mind, like like Uber or Lyft or so, because they are uh, probably in a worse position than we are now. Uh, but uh, time will time will uh, tell. Well, there you go, Ren. So there's no doubt that Volkswagen, uh, with the scale that they have, think that they can be an absolute 
player when it comes to uh, the changing landscape of mobility going forward. So fast, pretty fascinating and, and really looking forward to seeing how this all plays out. But before we move on and have a look at ASML, uh, their Q2 results and everything semiconductors, we are going to take a very quick break to hear from our sponsors. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. So, Ren, it is that time of the episode where we have to chat about semiconductors and the impact that it's had. And we're going to hear from ASML. Yeah, so for context, you know, Spotify and Volkswagen, most people will know. A lot of people won't have heard of ASML, but trust us when we say that they have impacted your life. Uh, ASML are a key supplier to the semiconductor industry, to, you know, brands like Samsung and TSMC. And the massive rise in demand for semiconductors in everything from you know, internet-enabled devices, more silicon in cars, uh, you know, more more phones and everything um, has been a real boon for companies like ASML just because the volume of demand is just through the roof. And semiconductors are becoming more and more geopolitically important as well. Um, you know, the US is concerned that their semiconductor supply chain runs through China's backyard, specifically Taiwan and South Korea. China is worried about uh, relying on procuring semiconductors from US allies. So they're trying to build their own domestic semiconductor uh, manufacturing capacity, I guess. Um, It is a critical strategic issue as well as business issue. And in this clip, ASML... Uh, their CEO, Peter Winnick, uh, talks about not so much their results. We cut that bit out just because, uh, you know, to save a bit of time, but more about his his update on the market and his sort of outlook for the growth prospects of the semiconductor industry. To summarize this year, taking into account the planned system output improvements in the second half, we now expect sales growth of about 35% and a gross margin between 51 and 52% for the full year. Looking beyond 2021... If you read the papers, uh, you can see the three trends we highlighted last quarter continue to drive semiconductor and equipment demand. Chip shortages are partly due to decisions made during the global pandemic, first reported in the automotive industry, have since moved to other industries. This is causing a more cyclical or catch-up-driven demand that we expect will likely continue into next year. But more importantly, secular growth from the digital transformation that's underway as the world becomes more connected 
not only machine to people, people to machine, but also machine to machine. The expanding application space with secular drivers such as 5G, AI, high performance, and distributed computing is fueling a rapidly growing demand for semiconductors. And this demand is not only for leading edge devices required to power these high performance applications, but it also requires a wide array of applications using other technology to support the build out of the digital, in, of the digital infrastructure. Computing is also rapidly moving to the edge where sensing technologies require connected compute technologies that are often mature in nature. Lastly, the push for technological sovereignty as countries and regions are planning to establish or expand regional semiconductor manufacturing capabilities in an attempt to manage geographical semiconductor manufacturing risks. This will likely create some level of inefficiency in the semiconductor supply chain and thus additional equipment demand Although we believe that this potential inefficiency will be managed rationally by a few very large manufacturers, which are crucial in building this additional infrastructure. We expect these trends to continue for the next several years, which fuels long-term demand for both logic and memory and drives demand for our entire product portfolio. For EUV, future demand growth is primarily driven by logic, with increasing EUV lay accounts and stronger wafer uh, demand on advanced nodes. We're also seeing growing uh, demand for EUV in memory, as customers are ramping EUV in volume production with plans to implement EUV on future nodes across three DRAM customers. With the strong order intake this quarter, this brings our backlog, our total backlog, to 17.5 billion, which includes EUV of 10.9 billion, which is a reflection of the very healthy market environment we're in today, and it covers approximately 80% of the planned EUV output for 2022. For future deep UV demand, it's driven by the growing waiver demand in both memory and logic. We see both advanced and, mem and, both advanced and mature nodes increasing over time. Immersion is required for the more advanced nodes in memory and logic, with dry technology required for both advanced and mature technology. We see the deep UV demand certainly for dry products being stronger for longer. In order to meet our customers' increasing long-term demand, we're working hard with our supply chain to increase our capacity. We continue to drive down manufacturing cycle times, both in our factory and in our supply chain. And jointly with our suppliers, we are looking across the supply chain to determine whether we need to add people, equipment, or buildings to increase our output capability for EUV as well as deep UV. Each of these activities have different time horizons to materialize. For DPV, in response to the market uh, demand, we will need to increase our capacity in 2022 and beyond, and have therefore started to execute plans to significantly increase our capacity, primarily with dry systems. This is needed since we will not be able next year to again use the surplus inventories of DPV modules and parts to fuel, to, to fuel our sales, as we will do in 2021. It's a bit too early to provide specific details on our capacity plans for the coming years as we have not yet confirmed the targeted capacity increases with our key suppliers, but we will provide an update as soon as we have finalized these plans. For EUV, we're planning our supply chain for a capacity of around 55 systems in 2022 and are looking to further increase the capacity to over 60 EUV systems in 2023. In addition, 
to increasing our system capacity, we're also driving our product roadmap to deliver higher productivity systems to increase effective wafer capacity. All of our planned shipments in 2022 will be the higher productivity 3600D systems. In summary, the chip demand is very strong, and we're working to maximize output to meet customer demand. The secular growth trends as part of the digital transformation to a more connected world is fueling future demand across all market segments at both the advanced and the mature nodes, which only increases our confidence in our long-term growth outlook. So there we have the ASML CEO, uh, I guess, talking about the different demand drivers that he that he sees in the semiconductor industry, the cyclical demand of the catch-up from the COVID shutdowns, the secular growth in the semiconductor industry from increased computing demand, and then thirdly, that geographic risk uh, where the market sort of perhaps becomes irrational from a supply and demand perspective for a moment because countries are worried about supply chain security and stuff like that. So um, some some big growth drivers for companies like ASML. And I think one final note we should say, when we interviewed Nick Griffin on the podcast, either earlier this year or late last year, he, he spoke about ASML as like the best company we've never heard of. Um, so definitely one that's that I'm watching both from a business perspective, but also to just get a better gauge on what's happening in the semiconductor industry more broadly. So really interesting earnings call for me, that one. Agreed. From that interview with Nick, um, I think I'd never heard of them up until that point. And from that point, I think I hear about them once a week. So (laughs) (laughs) a lot going on. It's just a fascinating industry. So, Ren, we'll close out today with um, another Swedish company, and that is Evolution. And uh, I hadn't heard about Evolution until this earnings call, so another great example of uncovering new companies through, I guess, the rich resources that these earnings calls are. Evolution is a Swedish company that is very popular over um, among Scandinavian investors, market cap of $30 billion, and it's a business-to-business provider of online casinos. So we were interested in how sort of quickly they were growing both in the US and Asia, um, but also they've got some pretty mature markets over in Europe. So um, in this intro clip, we hear from the CEO around some of their key financials uh, and sort of get an insight into the growth that they're experiencing at the moment. Good morning. Uh, welcome, everybody, to the presentation of Evolution's interim report for the second quarter 2021. My name is Martin Carlsson, and I'm the CEO of Evolution. With me, I also have CFO, Jacob Kaplan. As usual, I will start with some comments on our performance in the quarter. I will then hand over to Jacob for a closer look at our financials. And after that, I will round off our presentation with an outlook for the rest of the year. I'm happy to present the fantastic development of Evolution in the second quarter. As usual, it has been a quarter with extremely high operational activity and the great result is an outcome of the hard work performed by all employees. The combination of global demand for our products, a constant pursuit of cost efficiency, together with the energy, hard work, and high ambitions of all employees, all sums up to the fantastic numbers. Altogether, we reach EBITDA of 174.7 million euro and an EBITDA margin in the quarter of 68%. Our live business continues its exceptional growth from the first quarter. For the second quarter in 
in a row, we grow close to 60% compared to previous year. We're also continuing to reshaping the roadmap for RNG, and RNG revenues increased slightly from Q1, but are 2% lower than Q2 of 2020. The reshape of the roadmap has, among other things, created Starburst Extreme, which was released after the second quarter ended, but is the strongest release ever made in the history of NetEnt. The opportunities in the U.S. market are also promising, with states becoming more and more positive towards regulation of online casino. Next in line for our U.S. expansion is Michigan. The studio is fully ready and was approved for launch during Tuesday this week. We are now in the practical startup for Go Live, which will happen tomorrow. A new studio will always get attention, but let me assure you that we are expanding in all our studios at the moment, as demand of our products is increasing worldwide. Expanding our studio capacity means that we need to recruit a lot of new employees. The recruitment pace is high in the quarter, and we hired over 1,000 new fantastic talents, the highest recruitment number ever in a quarter. At the end of the quarter, we closed the acquisition of Big Time Gaming. The acquisition was announced early in the quarter, actually in April, and BTG are one of the most innovative slot creators in the world, and we are very much look forward to start working on what we can do together. In the quarter, we also announced that we, we start a U.S. rollout of Lightning Roulette in the land-based casinos together with Scientific Games. I'm also very happy for our five wins at this year's EGR B2B Awards. We took home awards for both our Evolution, NetHunt, and Red Tiger brands, including Live Casino Supplier of the Year. And this is actually the 12th consecutive time we win that award. Now let's look, move to the coming slides and see the effect of numbers and products on all our efforts. After the phenomenal first quarter, I'm very pleased to see the continuing strong development in the second quarter, with the growth in live casino almost reaching 60% again. But let's look at the financials. Revenue in the quarter is almost 257 million euro, an increase of 100% compared to Q2 of 2020, with live revenue growth of 59%. RNG increased slightly from the first quarter, but declined 2% comparing to the NetEnt's reported figures of 2020. The reshaping of the slots roadmap is going well, and I look forward to the second half of the year. EBITDA increases from 81 to 175 million euro in the quarter, a good increase of 115% year on year. I'm also satisfied with the EBITDA margin of 68% in the quarter. With a margin in Q1 of 67.9%, followed by a margin of 68% in the second quarter, we can conclude that the guidance we gave for the year of 65% will be exceeded. I expect we can maintain the current level also during the second half of, the 20, of 2021. Second quarter is a strong follow-up for the first quarter, where we now act as one company after acquisition of NetEnt. We are definitely well-placed to further strengthen our market share and continue to widen the gap to competitors in the second half of 2021. But as always, we need to work hard and become better every single day. So there we have the Evolution CEO talking about some of the pretty phenomenal growth numbers that are, that his company's seeing. And for me, you know, I, I'm the same as you. I'd never heard of this company before. The guys from Corda suggested that we listen to it telling us it's a popular company amongst uh, Scandinavian investors. And for me, it's just a reminder that there's so many companies out there, you know, growing quickly, finding new ways to do business, solving hard problems. And 
for every afterpay that becomes very popular amongst Australian investors, there's an evolution that becomes incredibly popular amongst Scandinavian investors. And it's just a reminder that the opportunity set is global now and there are people trying to solve hard problems all over the world. And it would be a mistake to just look at Silicon Valley as the place where, you know, the fast growing startups sort of emerge from. So I, yeah, I, I think it was a great one. I mean, growing revenue 60% a year, growing EBITDA 150% a year. Yeah. The, the, like the macro trend of the US legalizing gambling, it's, um, you can understand why the stock would be popular amongst Scandinavian investors. Absolutely. Absolutely, Ren. Well, look, it's been uh, another enjoyable episode uncovering some well-known European stocks and some not well, well-known European stocks. Uh, if you want to explore what Europe has to offer, uh, head to the quarter app, Q-U-A-R-T-R.se, another great Swedish startup, um, to actually dive into some of these earnings calls in a bit more depth. Stay tuned. This Thursday, we have an interview with Claude Walker to talk all things small caps um, and his process in analyzing them. Um, So we're very much looking forward to that one, as I'm sure you guys will get a lot out of it. That does bring us to the end of the episode today. A reminder that uh, there's a couple of ways you can support what we're doing at Equity Mates, and that is to A, Go and buy our book, Get Started Investing. It's on pre-order now, available at booktopia.com.au. It's lessons that we've taken from over 150 interviews with experts. We've got uh, commentary from the Equitymates community and Alec and I have put uh, our thoughts on uh, how to get started investing and give you the confidence to start your investing journey. So go and order that now. And also rate and review us if you can. It's a, a great help. Uh, leave us five stars. If anything less, please just take it up with us. But we would appreciate if you could leave us a rating and a review. But Ren, as always, great to chat stocks. And uh, we'll pick it up on Thursday. Sounds good. Equitymates Investing Podcast is a product of Equitymates Media. All information in this podcast is for education and entertainment purposes only. It is not intended as a substitute for professional finance, legal, or tax advice. The hosts of Equity Mates Investing Podcast are not financial professionals and are not aware of your personal financial circumstances. Before making any financial decisions, you should read the product disclosure statement and, if necessary, consult a licensed financial professional. Do not take financial advice from a podcast. For more information, head to the disclaimer page on the Equitymates website where you can find ASIC resources and find a registered financial professional near you. In the spirit of reconciliation, Equitymates Media and the hosts of Equitymates Investing Podcast acknowledge the traditional custodians of country throughout Australia and their connections to land, sea and community. We pay our respects to their elders past and present and extend that respect to all Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people today. 